We are in a series called The Nine Flavored Life. And this is about the character that the Spirit of God produces in us as the Spirit of God lives within us and begins to transform us uh, to be more and more like God Himself. These are character traits of God. And God wants to reproduce Himself in the followers of Jesus Christ. Now, there is only one fruit, but it has nine flavors. And we've just sung about them, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And a life that is characterized uh, more and more by these flavors is really a tasty life. Other people will want to be around us, and we will be uh, happier. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. And he was not kidding. And so the tagline to the sermon is, the fruit of the Spirit tastes great. Each week we've been looking at one of the flavors. And if you've missed any of the earlier sermons, you can catch up online at clearwater.church. You can download the Clearwater Church app. Take us with you on the go. If you like taking notes uh, in your bulletin, you have fill in the blanks to keep you motivated. I have here on screen a picture of a crystal vase, and I want to tell you a little bit about this vase. Uh, there are only 99 of these vases. They're part of the Baccarat vase collection, and it's a, a little over two feet tall. It's mounted on a black Italian marble base. It's inlaid with amber, amber lacquer, and it's hand-blown, made in France, and they're all kinds of very uh, geometric, intricate bevel cuts. Now, this vase could be yours for only $42,000. Pastor James did mention, you know, people like props. I said, no, they wouldn't be happy if I bought that just for a sermon. If you are in the market for this, please talk to me uh, after the service about your giving. <laughs> what I'd like you to consider is, uh, what if you were responsible for packaging and delivering this vase? How would you go about doing that? Very carefully. Very carefully. Absolutely. Pastor James says, I'd put it in one of those big pelican cases where you can pluck out the foam and create a little space. But we would do it carefully, wouldn't we? Because it's valuable and it's fragile. Today we're talking about the fruit of gentleness. And I think bottom line, God wants us to treat other people gently in, an, in a way to honor their value and their fragility. People are valuable. We are created in the image of God. We're far more valuable than that vase. And when we're gentle with other people, we're honoring their value. We're acknowledging you're valuable. And people are also fragile. You're fragile. I'm fragile. We can be, our, our spirits can be hurt. Our confidence undermined. We can be damaged emotionally. 
And God knows this. And so God is gentle with us, isn't he? Now, some people, especially guys, I'm not sure I ever have set out to become a gentle person. So this, this was a very um, provocative message for me to prepare. Uh, I think we as guys sometimes think of gentleness as uh, being a weak. Well, I'll be gentle with other people. That acknowledges that I'm afraid of them. I'm gentle because I'm afraid of the backlash. Well, actually, gentleness is not weakness. The Greek word here translated gentleness, the Greeks used that same word to describe a war horse that had been tamed. And a war horse was anything but weak. Power under control. That's what gentleness is. God's not trying to uh, cause us to think of ourselves as weaklings. He's challenging us to get our power under control in order to honor those who are created in his image. Uh, when I, my girls were little, they would often uh, try to squeeze my hand as hard as they could. Right? They're little kids. They want to see, can they hurt daddy? And so they'd pinch me, and that often did hurt. But, but the squeezing, of course, I never let them see that they were hurting me. Inside, I'd be going, ah! but outside, I'd be very calm. But they would squeeze with all their might. They couldn't hurt me. But if I squeezed back when they were little kids, I could crush the, their hands. Another image of gentleness. It's a strong hand with a soft touch. And God wants people who interact with us to feel a soft touch. It's the way he relates to us, and that's the way he wants us to relate to other people. Charles Swindoll, famous American preacher, says this about gentleness. In our rough and rugged individualism, we think of gentleness as weakness, being soft and virtually spineless. Not so. Gentleness includes such enviable qualities as having strength under control, being calm and peaceful when surrounded by a heated atmosphere, emitting a soothing effect on those who may be angry or otherwise beside themselves, and possessing tact and gracious courtesy that causes others to retain their self-esteem and dignity. Instead of losing the gentle gain, instead of being ripped off and taken advantage of, they come out ahead. Do you want to be gentle? So let's get very practical right off the bat. We can say that, uh, in a, think of a Christian household. God does not want fathers to be harsh with their children. He doesn't want them cursing at their kids. He doesn't want them hitting their kids out of anger. He doesn't want them uh, yelling and posturing and being angry-eyed, like Mr. Potato Man. God doesn't want wives to be fighting their husbands. He wants a home of peace where people are being gentle with each other. That is the will of God. And that's a place that, uh, that's a home that is at rest. That's a home that is, has peace in it. And that's God's will. So I want to talk today about four times it's especially important to be gentle. 
or put another way, four times in which I find it difficult to be gentle. The first is when we are attacked. So this summer, Kenai, my dog, kept getting, she's an escape artist, she's a husky, and she gets out the front door and she makes a beeline to the neighbor's fence because the neighbor has dogs, and so Kenai is now jumping up against the neighbor's fence, and of course their dogs are on the other side and they're barking at each other. And this, rightfully so, angers my, uh, my neighbor. But there are a couple people live in that house, but there's this one woman who, the very first time she confronts me about this, she's already up here. And so she is screaming at the top of her lungs, she's cursing me out, and she's threatening a lawsuit. Now, when people come at you and they're in attack mode, I don't know about you, but my tendency is to want to attack back, right? Meet uh, fire with fire. And so I can feel it rising up. And I'm about to come back at this woman. I fortunately, praise the Lord, I didn't. And all I said was, that is understandable. And then she just stopped talking. I don't think she thought I was wonderful, but she, but she didn't, it didn't continue. And so oftentimes when, if we will respond to an attack with gentleness, so often it will just diffuse the tension. And Proverbs tells us this, Proverbs 15, 1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So I think the assumption is somebody's coming at you, they're angry, and you have a choice to make. Am I going to respond with gentleness, or am I going to respond in kind? Because if we respond in kind, what does it do? It stirs up the anger. When you meet uh, fire with fire, uh, then all of a sudden sparks go flying everywhere and other stuff catches on fire. And so, you know, if I had met that neighbor with aggression, it would have continued, wouldn't it? And who knows where it would have gone. But instead, if we respond to attacks with gentleness so often, it can turn away the wrath. It can diffuse the situation and bring about peace. We, we've all been here many, many, many times. And this is a choice we can make. When attacked, will I respond with gentleness? And if so, real chance that, that, it, that the tension will go away and peace can reign. Second time I find it very difficult to be gentle is when I'm criticized. Maybe you love criticism and say, bring it on. It makes me better. Uh, that's not my first response, <laughs> right? So I got to tell on dad here. So first number of years I preached, I would manuscript my sermons and send them to my dad. And I did that because he would actually take the time to read them through and help me have better sermons. But his, and his, his feedback was always well-intentioned. But sometimes it was hard to hear. So one of his, he said this a few times. Well, how do you like it, Dad? I hope you have nothing to do between now and Sunday because holy cow, do you have a lot to do. <laughs> 
One of my favorites. No, I'm serious. I hope you have nothing. I mean, nothing. Clear your schedule. And that was hard to hear. That's not what I wanted to hear. I wanted to hear, oh, it's awesome. Just do it as it is. But here's the deal. If we can respond gently to criticism, we can actually uh, learn something and benefit. Most criticism, even mean-spirited criticism, has a kernel of truth in it and something for us to learn. And so actually a gentle response inside even keeps our ears open and our minds open to learn. And the fact is, Dad always had great uh, feedback for me and helped the sermon be better. And God's people were blessed whenever I was able to keep an open mind. Proverbs 19.20 says this, listen to advice and accept instruction. Other translations say discipline, that you may gain wisdom in the future. So criticism is often saying what you just did or what you're doing is not great. And that our tendency is to go into defense mode. But if we'll keep a gentle internal response, we can learn something for the future, right? That you may gain wisdom in the future. And that's, that's why it's important to respond gently. One of the reasons it's important to respond gently. Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The fool is the one who wants to self-justify. But, 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 you don't understand. I, don't do that. Just listen to advice. You probably have something to learn that can make you better. Proverbs chapter 9, verses 7 to 9. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and whoever reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he'll hate you. What's it saying? It's saying, you know, there are some people, you give them uh, correction, you give them criticism or feedback, and they're not going to be happy with you. They're going to attack, kill the messenger, right? And so you're wasting your time when you give those people feedback. And we don't want to be those kind of people, and we've all been those people, but we don't. Instead, Listen to this. Reprove a wise man and he'll love you. Bring it on, Dad. Give instruction to a wise man and he'll be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he'll increase in learning. That's the kind of response we want to have to criticism. We want to be concerned not about defending ourselves and, and we want to say, how can I be better for the future? What can I learn here? So have a gentle uh, a gentle response to criticism. Third time I find it difficult to be gentle is when I am opposed. When somebody is resisting my ideas or my will. I notice this especially at home. <laughs> with my dog. No. With all the members of my family, they have their own wills, I've noticed, and sometimes I'm resisted. And... When I'm resisted, I don't immediately want to be gentle. I want to be powerful and, pers right? and uh, kind of force what I want. And there are lots of unhealthy ways we can do that. And we can be aggressive in our tone, and we can be threatening, and we can, uh, well, you, we can be physical. We can, we can go all kinds of bad places. Um, but that... We're not to do that. 
gentleness persuades but never uh, coerces. Gentleness persuades but never coerces. So uh, this is especially true if you're married. And, you know, you're, yes, our, you know, my wife is told in Scripture, submit to your husband in all things. And sometimes I try to point that out to her. But what if she doesn't? I have searched the Scriptures. My friend and I went through the whole thing, and we're like, darn it, all we can do is appeal to her best interest, or her best, uh, the best part of her, and seek to persuade we may persuade, but we may not coerce, right? Now, if it's a child, yes, you may discipline your child, but do it gently, not out of anger. If, yeah. Now, here's the good news. The good news is that oftentimes that has, uh, is, a lot of, has, is very successful. Proverbs 25, 15. Here's what we read. With patience, a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. Remember in Scripture where it talks about, you know, uh, a believing wife may very often win her husband to the Lord by her gentleness. There is a lot of... uh, What you want people to do is you want people to do what you want them to do because they want to do what you want to do not because they're afraid of you. If they're afraid of you, they might do what you want, but you ruin the relationship. So if you've got kids or you're married, uh, or actually in any sphere of life, you can manipulate and you can, you can often get people, strong-arm people to do what you want in the short run, and they will not want to be around you in the long run. So you win the battle and you lose the war. But, but if you will just seek to persuade and be gentle about it, wow, a soft tongue will often break a bone. A lot of power in that. All right, the, the final place I find it difficult to be gentle is when people fail, especially when they fail me. And there's this great story in, uh, uh, in the Bible of Jesus responding to a woman who has been caught in adultery. So if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 11. And Jesus is, is in the temple teaching people. And we read in John chapter 8, verse 3, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, think about that woman. She's being publicly accused. She's been drug out to the temple. She's pushed in front of all these men and in front of Jesus. And uh, her failure has, is being declared. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such woman, women. So what do you say? They said this to test Jesus, that they might have some charge to bring against him. In other words, if Jesus said, um, disobey Moses, well, then they could you know, tell the people, hey, uh, you know, he's, he's an irreligious man. And if he said, yeah, stoner, well, the Romans were occupying Israel at the time, and they had taken away the, the right to punish by death from the Jews. And so he would have been in trouble with the Romans. So what did Jesus do? Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. 
And people have always wondered, what was he writing? And as they continued to ask him, so they're pressing him, right? Tell us, tell us, what would you do? He stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. And uh, many have speculated that he was writing down the sins of the people in the audience. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. That's because the older people are often uh, more aware of their own failures. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on sin no more. Gentleness is not interested in punishment. It's interested in restoration. Right? When people fail us, our flesh response is, give me a stone. I want them to hurt. I want them to pay for their failure. But the Spirit of God, what He puts in our heart is a desire for them to be restored. Yes, they've failed. But how can they be healed and learn and move forward uh, and not do those bad things again. And so Jesus doesn't act as if she's done nothing wrong. From now on, sin no more. He, he sets a high bar for her. He challenges her to be her best. But notice, I don't condemn you. I'm not interested in punishing you. He was interested in restoring. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. In a spirit of gentleness. So, what I'm about to tell you is the thing that I think jumped out most to me. My big takeaway, and here it is. Gentleness makes other people at rest in our presence. When we're gentle with other people, they are at rest in our presence. They like being around us. They're not afraid of us. We encourage them. We help them. We restore them. We bless them. We'll challenge them, but we, they know when we're challenging them, we're just trying to help them. And do you want your spouse to want to be in your presence and to be at rest in your presence? Yeah. Do you want your employees to be at rest in your presence, your coworkers, your classmates, your children? Yes. We want people to want to be with us. We all do. Well, gentleness is a primary way to get there. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
So Jesus is saying, I'm gentle. So, so come. You're hurting. You're weighed down. You can come to me, and you're going to find what? You're going to find rest. Learn from me is not saying I'm not going to challenge you and I'm not going to help you change, but you're not going to be condemned. You're going to be restored. You're going to be encouraged. You're going to be persuaded, not coerced. And that's the kind of people God wants us to be. So that people come into our sphere of influence and they experience rest. So in your bulletin, you should have found a little gentleness uh, insert. Do you have one, Mom? All right, I'll give you mine. So I want you to just take a few minutes and uh, read through these different statements and evaluate yourself. To what degree is this true of you? And the degree that it is true of you, praise God, because that's indication of His Spirit at work. And if you want it to be more true of you, then ask the Lord to help you. Well, I'm going to let you uh, spend a couple minutes reading through that, and then I'll pray to conclude us. Heavenly Father, we want your gentleness to become increasingly true of us. Lord, we acknowledge that other people are created in your image, are desperately valuable, and Lord, they're also fragile. And you've called us to treat them in a way that's that honors your image in them. Lord, may we aspire to be gentle people. Spirit of God, keep that in front of us. May we see its beauty and long for it. And Lord, in the very practical ways that you've challenged us this morning, help us this week uh, to really win in that.
Thankful, O God, that you are gentle with us. You, the all-powerful one, chooses to relate to us with a soft touch. And we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.